0: Philanthropy and fundraising around the world. I'm Bill Stanjakevich. This is the first day from the Fundraising School, and I'm joined today by two of my colleagues who both have a long association in different ways as full-time employees, as researchers and scholars, and still as contributors to the Indiana University Lilly Family School of Philanthropy, in which resides the fundraising school. Dr. Lilia Wagner uh, is with us today. Lilia had a long association uh, designing curriculum and teaching for the fundraising school. And Dr. Charles Sellen is an international researcher and scholar who has been a visiting scholar for us here at the School of Philanthropy. Uh, And they both join us as they have co-authored chapter nine of the fifth edition of Achieving Excellence in Fundraising, the seminal book, on fundraising principles and practice. Their chapter, Global Philanthropy and Cross-Cultural Fundraising. And Charles, I wanna start with you. One big difference from edition number five, as we look back at edition number four, is edition number four included a comment from our founder of the fundraising school, Dr. Henry Rosso, that philanthropy is a distinctly American activity. We took that out, because if Hank maybe thought that back in 1974, The co-editors believe that that's not true now. And I know that you believe strongly that philanthropy is a global phenomenon. Help our audience understand that, please.
1: So to answer your question, Bill, I think we need to distinguish between the practical, technical aspects of fundraising and the cultural environment in which it resides. Uh, If we take, for instance, the the technical aspects, of course, everywhere in the world, fundraisers will use similar tools like accessing the internet, uh, using the phone, or using um, databases to uh, to identify potential donors, um, but that's for the technical part. Uh, of course, they will also use um, events, uh, fundraising drive, d- direct marketing appeals, uh, or planned giving tools. But when it comes to culture, of course, people will react differently to the use of these tools. Um, you cannot... Um, reach out to people in the same ways uh, in every country uh, just because uh, they're not sometimes acc- accustomed to being asked to give money in some cultures talking about money is not an easy an easy uh, topic so you would need to be more cautious or you would need to uh, uh, have some prerequisites before before asking and just uh Take one example about uh, bequests and plan giving. In my home country, in France, um, there is a legislation that forbids to uh, give all of your wealth uh, to a charitable cause. You have mm-hmm. to give a certain percentage of your wealth to your kids, uh, to your heirs. Uh, so it's impossible to give everything away, uh, technically, just because the law forbids it. Uh, and so there are some ways to circumvent this partially, but if, if you are a fundraiser, of course you will not approach a super wealthy person in the same way as you would in the United States. And a second example is for instance, uh, 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 personal data protection. In the European Union, there is a regulation that protects uh, privacy. And so it's impossible to know Uh, For instance, how much uh, uh, somebody makes a year in terms of income. Uh, If this information is not disclosed, you cannot know the the value of somebody's main residence, for instance, and that kind of information that you might access more easily in the US market. Uh, It's virtually impossible to access this data in Europe. Um, So those two examples show you examples of of, of limitations to the use of these similar tools across nations.
0: Those are wonderful examples, whether I'm fundraising in the United States with neighbors and colleagues who live in other countries or perhaps are in the United States uh, for a short or long time, uh, as well as helping us have an understanding of the different cultural applications that our colleagues in fundraising need to have uh, as they're fundraising in other countries around the world. And Lilia, for you, you certainly are a well-respected, award-winning researcher and scholar on fundraising and philanthropy. But for you, this also is personal. Your own story as a little girl, uh, immigrating to the United States, and then as a successful professional going to more than half of the world's nations on behalf of philanthropy and fundraising. What perspective do you bring to this conversation about global philanthropy and cross-cultural fundraising based on your lived experiences?
2: Thank you, Bill. I started speaking and writing about this topic in the early 90s when I first joined the School of Philanthropy, and I found it really fascinating to put that together, as you already mentioned, with my personal background. I was born in Estonia. We escaped communism, and then I learned four languages before I was 10 years old and lived on three continents. I think the main point I'd like to stress is that as we were homeless refugees and then immigrants to the united states and subsequently lived in south america it was a nonprofit profit organizations that helped us get established so i witnessed charity philanthropy all of those terms in their best and broadest sense even when i was very very young and i've always been grateful and therefore fascinated by the various ways that organizations and individuals express their generosity. Therefore, I began collecting the research, as I mentioned already in the early nineties when I was making presentations, for example, for the AFP international conferences. And for me, this was both a labor of the mind and the heart because it was very personal for me but also because of my international outlook and experience, I became very interested in how does it really work in a formal way. And people really began to embrace this around the world about 30 years ago, the breakup of the Soviet Union, great interest in South America as there was more democratization. Also, I worked early in doing workshops under the Ford Foundation in China. Where you might not expect people to truly embrace these principles but they're both enriching as well as practical.
0: Lilia, that is just wonderful how your life experiences uh, immigrating to the states have influenced your work in this regard and then also Lily, if you could expand your personal observations 101 nations that you've worked in Uh, you know, teaching philanthropy, researching, helping folks understand philanthropy and fundraising. How can you just try to describe, you know, how, how you've developed those perspectives and how you've adapted from one nation to the next and, you know, just how you've gone about that work to make sure that you're adapting to each and every one of those very wonderful, special individual cultures of those individual nations.
2: I think partly it comes down to uh, truly appreciating the difference, whether you really know the difference or not. For example, there's a very good book called Kiss, Bow, or Shake Hands. And it's just as one small example. Uh, the business world caught on to this even before the philanthropic sector uh, to understand if you're going to take Kentucky Fried Chicken to China, for example. What are the differences in the recipe? In my hometown of Tallinn, Estonia, where I was born, there's a big McDonald's right inside the old city gates. Cool. My point is that, first of all, it's enriching to find out how different cultures work. This kiss, bow, and shake hands that contains vignettes of about 50 countries, and it's just a start. So one of the things that I have found, first of all, that it's important for me to understand the culture, whether I do research ahead of time, whether I arrive in the country beforehand, you might think, as some people do, that if I work in Africa, it's very, very similar from country to country. It's not. For example, colonization had a great effect the tribal aspects developed in certain ways. So knowing each country. Then for me, what is really beautiful having been part of the fundraising school for so long is that people accept the principles. The principles in which the fundraising school is based. I have seen, and even now, this many years later that I've been in some countries, like Argentina. We did quite a bit of work there when I was full-time at the fundraising school. Just yesterday, somebody wrote me, asked for some examples of how to present a case. I think the beautiful aspect of the validity of the fundraising school is that the principles work. My responsibility as a trainer, consultant, coach, is to understand the cultural differences and therefore how these solid principles can be implemented from country to country. For example, I was just uh, the other day, had a Zoom meeting with some friends in Zimbabwe, and they want to do a capital campaign. They understood the principles, they understood the steps. They then checked with me to see if they were applying those principles correctly. So to me, it's almost like a two step process. Understand the country and the culture, which is fascinating, which is enriching to us as professionals or travelers. But then secondly, to be so solidly rooted in what is the best in fundraising practice and put that together with those cultural differences. I've been at this for a long time, And it's so gratifying for me to see how people around the world intellectually accept the principles and then put them into practice. It's a very enriching experience. And that's also something that organizations here in the United States that deal with the diversity that we've always had, the diversity changes in who is here, whom we're working with, but it's also very enriching for us as professionals and so helpful to the organizations that we serve.
0: Lilia, that is great practical advice for fundraisers. And Charles, as you know, we look at the why behind that practical advice, I know a key point that you and Lilia raise in this chapter in Achieving Excellence in Fundraising, the fifth edition, is that it's important to see a global perspective on philanthropy because of what that teaches us about civil society, about the way everyday citizens can come together to express their values and their passions and their motivations alongside the public and private sectors or distinct from those other two sectors. Help our audience understand that point that you're raising in the chapter about how a global understanding of philanthropy can really enrich us on civil society.
1: Yeah, absolutely, Bill. It's important to recognize the universality of altruistic behavior um, that's crucial to discussing definitions and connotations of philanthropy across countries. Uh, and the problem, one of the key problems is that research has focused primarily on weird, what we call weird countries. Uh, so weird, the acronym stands for Western, higher educated, industrialized, rich, and democratic. So it's, it's mostly the northern countries. Uh, but over the past 30 years, um civil society organizations and non-governmental organizations have uh, risen in in uh, all parts of the world particularly in the post-soviet countries uh, in central eastern europe and central asia but also in africa south america all of asia uh, and of course these organizations have emerged with support from philanthropy and and of course uh these organizations have become service providers uh, or advocates, sometimes working with governments, sometimes working uh, against governments. So it's important to understand how um, the mobilization of uh, civic, civic initiatives and citizens' initiatives have contributed to better welfare and uh, more well-being across nations. So that's one point. Another point is that within northern nations, um, there are, of course, a lot of immigrants, which we call diasporas. And these people, for instance, U.S.-based people who come from foreign countries, are sometimes contacted by fundraisers in their home countries. And, um, and by sending money uh, abroad, uh, which we call cross-border philanthropy, uh, by sending this um, support, they help develop their um, countries of origins. So an example is a study we have conducted at the Lilly Family School of Philanthropy about African diasporas in the US who contribute to the emergence of higher education institutions in, in Africa. And that's an emerging trend. And uh, another aspect I would like to mention to answer your question is that um, worldwide, there are many NGO networks that tend to um, displace their global headquarters in non-Western or non-Northern countries. And I will give you two examples. Uh, Very well-known in the US, Oxfam International and ActionAid International have their international branches uh, in uh, South Africa and in Kenya. Uh, That's just an example of global NGOs um, moving out of the traditionally Northern based headquarters and uh, uh, taking roots in, uh, in Southern countries.
0: And so at the Indiana University, Lilly Family School of Philanthropy, you can see from Charles's remarks and Lilia's guidance that uh, we believe that philanthropy is part of the human condition. That is what we share in common. What is distinct is how that uh, tradition that condition, that behavior, that trait is played out based on our culture, based on our nation, based on our region around the world. And this chapter, chapter nine, global philanthropy and cross-cultural fundraising can point you in the direction of gaining a deeper understanding, whether you're in the United States, fundraising from neighbors and community members who have immigrated from other countries, you're in the United States, fundraising from donors in other countries, or you're one of our wonderful international partners around the world and you're trying to get a better understanding of fundraising across the globe, this chapter could be so helpful for you. And this is part of what we teach in our academic programs at the Lilly Family School of Philanthropy. Uh, Our master's program is online, available anywhere around the world, as is our professional doctorate program. uh, And all information about our academic programs is available online at philanthropy.iupui.edu. Now, add a forward slash and the words the fundraising school and that takes you to the fundraising school. You'll learn about our public courses which are in person more and more around the United States available online anywhere around the world both asynchronous meaning recorded or synchronous being virtual and live. Those courses are available. We also have our custom training that can travel globally and our quarterly webinars of course these weekly podcasts. Again that website philanthropy.itu.edu forward slash the Fundraising School. I'm so grateful to our guests today, Dr. Lilia Wagner and Dr. Charles Sellon. Our producers today, Jennifer Boffman and Mike Anthony. I'm Bill Stanjakevich, and now you are now more fully informed on this first day from the Fundraising School.